listening to the podcast, you're having tea with Alice. This week's episode is with Stuart Goldsmith of the Comedian's Comedian podcast. I'm a big fan of that podcast. You should go and listen to it. Tell him that I sent you. And uh, I hope that you enjoy listening to my conversation with him. I really, I really enjoyed it. Um, thank you, everybody, who's been contributing to my Patreon. It's such a wonderful thing. And uh, I really appreciate it. Um, you buy tea for my guests. You get transport to and from the the recording areas <laughs> that doesn't you know the cafes etc where I agree to meet people and uh, the hosting costs for the podcast thank you so much to Dale who gave me some tips on how to keep those hosting costs down I really appreciate that as well thank you everybody who emails me alicerfraser at gmail.com is the place to do that if you want to chat I had a delightful message from a lady the other day who saw my show The Resistance on iView in Australia and uh told me that she knew my grandmother when she was young and uh, that she had really enjoyed the show so that's a lovely message to receive I also got a picture of a nude Asian lady from a stranger so I don't know who the lady was I don't know who the stranger was but that was sort of the yin to the yang I guess of my messages for today Uh, I'm going to let you get on with listening to me talking to Stuart over a couple of cups of delightful tea If you are in Adelaide, I'll be there in less than a month at the Adelaide Fringe Festival. Please come and see my new show, Empire. If you are in Melbourne, I'll be at the Melbourne Comedy Festival. If you are in Sydney, I'll be in the Sydney Comedy Festival after that. If you're in Edinburgh, I'll be in Edinburgh in August. Before then, if you're in London, 23rd of January at the Star of Kings in King's Cross is the place to see Empire and it's really, really, really incepting stage. So if you'd like to see a brand new baby fresh show with the skin still off it, you can come along to that. And the deal is if you come to any of my early preview shows, you get to come to later versions of the show for free. So you get to see it both as a baby and as an adult. So that's the compensation that you get for sitting through some failed jokes from my side. Anyway, thank you very much. I'll see you next week. You're having tea with Alice. Hi, and welcome to the podcast. You're having tea with Alice. This week's guest is Stuart Goldsmith. Uh, what are you drinking and what do you do? Uh, I'm drinking tea. I'm drinking, I think it's uh, Yorkshire tea. And uh, uh, it's quite nice. I'm not a huge tea drinker, but I'm trying to drink less coffee. Um, and uh, what do I do? Yes. And that's a sort of general introductory General thing. introductory. Fine, fine, fine. Who are you? I um, mean, I'll do a, a longer introduction before. Oh, sure thing. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so... Uh, I always I'm like a, to know how people think of themselves. Yeah. I think the order in which I... The order is always stand-up comedian first, which, thinking about it technically, is sort of writer, because I spend more hours writing than I do performing. Um, so, but I, I don't know if I think of myself as a writer. Uh, so, stand-up comedian. Uh, I am also a podcaster uh, of my own show uh, called The Comedian's Comedian, where I interview comics about their writing and creative One of my favourite podcasts. Thank you very Excellent. much. Thank you. It's, uh, it is, I've got to stop saying bafflingly, but uh, <laughs> I'm certainly, <laughs> I'm really proud and happy by how warmly people uh, feel by how that's, I don't know what the sentence is. I'm but, made um, happy by, yeah. I am made works, happy by yeah, how much, silent, exactly. Yeah. They're silent made, yeah. Um, uh, people really love that show, and uh, it, I think for a little while, I, it became apparent to me that having put in years of live performance as a street performer and then as a stand-up comedian, 
and been seen by you know a finite number of people a certain number of people I, there was a point a few years ago when I went well I guess my podcasts have now outstripped that by a factor of a thousand yeah, <laughs> you know yeah so but but I'm definitely a comedian first the podcast wouldn't make sense if I wasn't a comedian yeah and also I mean it's an it's a really interesting phenomenon your your podcast because it is on paper comedians talking to comedians is 90% of comedy podcasts is yeah. just chatting but you have a kind of a distinctive way of doing it which is that you analyze during the podcast what you're doing so you take a little break there's a lot more editing work in it than I think in most podcasts where it's just a rambling chat you are quite focused in the questions you want to ask and then also you'll take a moment to reflect during the interview on how you thought the interview went yes actually I do that less now I I I edit a lot less than I did, but what I do is I feel I... You know, comedians talk about writing on stage, and I'm doing air quotes here because I'm yes. a hideous human being. Um, <laughs> comedians talk about writing on stage, which is sort of like, in my mind, that means you walk up there with an idea or a few ideas mm. or an end point to an idea, and you rough it out on stage, almost like an artist might kind of... I think the word is ibosh, but that sounds like a crazy made-up word. You'd kind of rough out, before you start painting, you kind of rough out some background stuff that might become sky or what have you on, the, on, on your canvas. So a comedian might do writing on stage by having an end point and then going on and going around the houses seeing how they Finding get there. Finding the laughs. Yes, and, and I think as, a, as an interviewer, I now do a lot more interviewing, like editing as I interview. Yes. So I really try, and I I always wonder whether I'm just saying this after the fact, and it actually it only happens once or twice, but I think I'm always trying to ask a, 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 an intelligent or perhaps provocative question, and then the answer to that question doesn't necessarily matter because what I'm trying to look for is how my guest reacts to it, mm -hmm. and just pick out a little, I just try and be open to, it's only very pretentious here, I'm... I, I try and be open to like a word if I think they've particularly stepped on a word or not said something. My favourite moments are always when I go, now the way you put that, you, you sort of you could have put it like this more normally, but you said specifically that. So what does that suggest? Yeah. I also try to, as well as I'm, I try to ask specific questions, I've started recently trying to ask far broader, not broader, but less less well-formed questions so like my favorite moments less really leading questions yeah exactly are, are like if i say to someone and like <laughs> i like that i really like that because then that lets them determine where they were going with the thing and then i get to make decisions based on this is all you know no no no. it's i mean this is sort of the the point that i was trying to make about what i found appealing about your podcast is that while you're talking to a comedian about the process of making comedy, which is explicitly the the direction of your podcast, you're also, uh, and as you say, you do it less outside of the podcast, you're mm -hmm. also revealing and understanding the process of interviewing a comedian or getting something out of them or what you want from that yourself. So there's yes. a self-reflective... I, 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 I think so. I feel like people listening to it are thinking... I try and hear the audience going... Well, what does that mean? Yeah. And I go, so what does that mean? You yeah, know what I mean? Yeah, or right, yeah. like you're the most frustrating things are listening to an interview and going, oh, uh, well, you're just glossing over that? What is, hang on, I thought, surely he doesn't want to talk about that. Yeah. Ask him about that. You yeah. know? So there's, a, there's an aspect of that in it, yes. Yeah, what have you been wrestling with recently? Well, there's, I mean, uh, there's a couple of things. And one of them I have tried to talk about twice on the, what I call the postamble, which is at the mm. end of my interviews. The, the show, I try to be invisible in the interviews in the podcast. And I try to, 
ask questions and then shut up as much as possible. Yes. <laughs> and um, and so there isn't much space for kind of me to breathe. So at the end of the show, after it, I sort of say, okay, that's that concludes the show. If you want to hang around, there'll be a post amble. And it's between five and 20 minutes of me banging on about whatever's on my mind. Something I've tried to talk about on that twice and kind of bottled out both times is something that happened a couple of weeks ago where I... Hmm. Let me... I, I'm going to try not to bottle it again. So I'm going to try and talk to talk about this in a way that is... Like, I guess your audience for this podcast... Like, no one... Yeah, I'll, I'll try again. Okay. <laughs> I discovered that a piece of an interview that I had recorded with Bill Burr, mm. the comedian Bill Burr, had been clipped out of context, nine minutes worth of us arguing about whether or not privilege exists in uh -huh. a social context. Yes. Um, and put on a Bill Burr fan site that was either, it was either a Bill Burr fan site or it was a men's rights activist site or both or one masquerading as the other. And it had... There's some Venn diagram overlap. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, sure. And, um, and that's kind of what we were talking about in parts of the interview. And... Um, it had something like 150,000 hits and most of those people, it seemed, had commented using their own uh, tribal language to describe me in ways I didn't understand but that sounded quite unpleasant. You yes. Know? Um, and I, I think it raised a couple of issues for me. One is the sort of the, the, the sheer affront of going, oh God, people are saying horrible things about me online. I I'm not a shock comedian i like silly whimsical ideas so i don't tend to offend audiences yes and my podcast tends to be i try i hope that it's empathic and probing but gently so so i don't i'm not really putting myself in the world in a way that attracts extremists fringe you know i have the same thing i get a lot less hate than many of my female comedian colleagues because if i have a brand it's sort of complexity to a certain degree so sure it's so your audience aren't with. finding it and oh, sorry thing, your, your audience find you and then maybe the extremists don't find you yes and also you know it's sort of a little bit daunting to you can't you can't take it out of context so that's one of the things that i've often said about this podcast which your story makes me a bit worried about is that people listen from the beginning to the end. So it's very difficult. They're not tuning in at some point as they would on the television or the radio. So you yeah, get right. to explore complicated ideas. Exactly. And in in a complete reversal of that, someone clipped a bit from the middle and went, here's this. So they interestingly, they didn't include the moment later in the podcast where Bill Burr described that section of society as cringeworthy. They didn't, <laughs> they didn't see fit to include that. Um, and the... So the, initially there's like, well, I don't normally receive a lot of hate and I've turned over a stone and underneath it, oh, God, that's where it all was. That's hundreds of people yeah. saying the most vicious things about me because they disagree, disagree with where I'm coming from. I describe myself as a feminist. That really upset them. I think that's because, and I'm, it's weird, like, do, what do we do these days? Do we try to understand people that hate us? We still have to try. We still, you're shaking your head, but we still have to try and do that. It's too easy to get exasperated and throw your hands up and go oh fuck this i'm never leaving the house you know yes um i don't necessarily need to write jokes about them i don't need to give them the oxygen of publicity and that's partly why i kind of binned it from my from my own show but i'm happy to talk about it, about it on yours um and so they so part of it was was me going oh my god look at all these people one of the things they really took issue with was the sentence which I absolutely said. I said, you can be privileged and still have a shit life. Yes. And I think that's, 
I think that's true, but I think they're misunderstanding. That infuriated all of them. And I think probably that's because a lot of them see themselves as having shit lives and they think if you're privileged, that means you drive around in a gold Mercedes. Yes. And I think in the terms in which we're talking, in the, I think privilege means simply that you are free from the systematic endemic prejudices that someone else in your position who is not male or is not white suffers from yes I, th I like to think of it as vectors of privilege so in certain ways you have these advantages and now but it's, it's not even in certain ways it's in certain contexts and i think that's the difficulty for you know this particular class of of usually young usually white usually men who who are being told that they have these privileges but don't feel the advantages of them so for example we can say because it's an obvious fact that the majority of stand-ups on stage on any given night are going to be young white men yep but if if it's gone from 10 out of 10 on a bill to being 7 out of 10 on a bill and you're one of the three that didn't get a spot oh, yeah. so you, you you're simultaneously being told that you're you're receiving these advantages but you don't feel the advantages there's nothing more annoying and upsetting than being told that you're getting something that you don't feel you have absolutely and in certain contexts, in certain online bubbles, which they deliberately seek out to infuriate themselves, it is a disadvantage to be... There are now spaces which really didn't exist before. There mm -hmm. are now spaces where it's not an advantage and maybe a disadvantage. And I'm interested in those spaces because I see them as a misuse of the power that you know, minority groups are getting, where the moment you get this you know, system where... And then they sneer about it, where where um, your oppression becomes a badge of honour, becomes a sort of a power in these small, very protected spaces, people who are in that kind of inverted power don't have practice with power, they don't know how to use it, and they are willing to do the things that they accuse other people of doing, shut down dissent and, sure. and eject people from, these t from what they feel rightly are tiny, small, protected spaces. Yeah. But then you have this thing where there's a kind of a rejection of free speech and that infuriates these guys who see themselves as warriors for some objective external y Yes, I, I think I followed all of that. Yeah, and sorry. Uh, I, no, no, no. Well, this is, I think this is part of it. I don't mean, I'm, I don't, I'm not making fun of you. I think I followed everything that you said. I think that I'm not making any claims about, I'm not making any suggestions about anyone's level of education, but I think that there is a certain point in listening to us talk about this now. Yes. There's a certain point where someone could quite reasonably go, what, vectors? What, fuck off. This yeah. is about me and what I no longer have. Yeah. And so it's really difficult to talk about it in any kind of way because it is necessarily complicated. Yeah. I, and I remember, I remember when I was at school many, many years ago, there was uh, a kid who got stabbed non-lethally. He was stabbed in the leg with a scalpel during a science lesson by uh, a kid uh, who was, I don't remember who it was. I, I don't remember the identity of the person, but I think they were uh, an Asian kid. Yeah. Asian in the British sense, meaning uh, from India, South possibly. Asian, Southeast yeah. Asian, yeah. yeah. Um, South Asian. I don't know. No, Southeast Asian is like a is the ones that we think of stuff. as Asian. Yeah, right. Australia. Okay, so and I don't mean Asian in the American sense of Japanese, um, but I mean Asian in the sense of possibly from India or Pakistan. Okay. You know, huge and hugely different places. But this white kid was stabbed in the leg, and he said, "I've been." He was being bullied. He was being sort of systematically bullied, and the Asian kid's defense was he said a racist remark, and. 
I don't know what happened there. I know the people involved and I think that that's very unlikely. I don't know for certain. Mm. But let's say for the sake of discussion that he didn't say a racist remark. This was a bully using the idea of racism to conceal their behaviour. Yes. Let's, whether or not that was the case, let's imagine that was the case for the purpose of talking about it. Yeah. Now, I get it. I get why you would be furious. And I get why you would feel scared. I get why a, a white kid in that situation or a white kid who saw that situation would think, holy shit, this is unfair and the scales are tipped against me. How am I privileged? Yes. And I, there, are, yeah, there are now tools that fight privilege that can be used as weapons. Yes, absolutely. And, and of course, there is at the same time this idea that if you are accustomed, and I don't know who first said this, but it's the, the, you know, the, the phrase of the age, really. If you're accustomed to privilege, then equality feels like oppression. Yes. You know, if you're used to going, like if it's completely ingrained in you that as a white man, you just sort of, it, it's, we sort of get all the breaks. We don't notice it. We don't need to worry really about walking home late at night yet yeah, we certainly do if we were through a rough area we might get beaten up and um and a woman might be able to avoid being beaten up because she's a woman and men don't want to hit women sometimes on some level we've definitely got challenges as individual human beings but broadly speaking as white men we have agency now the the thing that struck me particularly the irony of this that i thought was very painful is that the whole experience I had of turning over this stone, discovering this little video, which incidentally has been taken down, not by me. Good. It's been, well, it is good. I sort of was like, I chose not to engage with it because I thought, I thought I actually, I'm not, at, I'm not at risk here. There's nothing at stake. I can just say my piece on one of these comments and say, well, actually guys, I meant this and I think that's fair. I'm a dad and I don't have time to continue the conversation anymore. What's the point of saying that? It's just going to wind them up. It's like people ending Facebook arguments by going, I'm out, see ya. And then yeah. they come back three comments later. No, actually, screw you. You know, yeah. pointless. Um, I decided not to engage with it, but I thought I'm not going to take it down because of the 150,000 views, maybe some of those guys are new to that environment and see the thing and go, well, actually, no, I, I kind of agree with what that guy's saying. Maybe, you know, so maybe it has some value. It has been taken down since. And I wonder if that's because a benevolent person a friend of mine or someone connected to me somehow got in touch and got rid of it I, I've no idea and I'm not going to bother finding out but momentarily lost the thread um equality privilege privilege uh yeah no absolutely I was going to say something specific which was that this is the these are the bits I edit out of my podcast this is That's the only good. editing I do at the moment when I go oh fuck fuck I had something ah uh. <laughs> <laughs> um the irony is that as a white man, I don't have to put up with online abuse. Yeah. So this, the fact of me going, holy shit, what's this? That whole reaction is completely, uh, uh, is, is a proof of my side of the argument. Yeah. You know, so many female comics that I know on Facebook have got different identities because otherwise they're subjected to a barrage of abuse and sexist abuse and sexist invitations and what have you, sexual invitations, sexist sexual invitations. <laughs> I don't have to do that. I don't tend to get any shit. Yes. Because I'm, uh, largely because I'm a white bloke and I just fit in with the, the norm. People don't take offence at me. Which is one of the things that I sort of feel is maybe a problem with the whole discourse of privilege, which is that it, I don't think it should be seen as a privilege to be able to walk down the street at night and feel safe. I don't think these things should be seen as privileges. 
even though because they are only given to certain people, they are privileges. I think that, that articulating them as a privilege makes you want to take them away rather than bring everyone up to a level. And that's, it's always easier to do that. It's all, I mean, it, you yes, see... Yes, everyone has the right to walk down a street late at night. It's probably not that sensible to do that in certain areas. Yes, and, and, and also if you, if you look at capitalism as the kind of the driving underlying force of our age, you've got to look at the thing that's going to help capitalism. So feminism has progressed along lines where, for example, now men start to feel insecure about their bodies rather than women not feeling insecure I understand because what you, mean. you expand to the market. And there's no money in everyone treating well everyone else well online because what you get money for as a company is engagement and the more angry people are putting comments on things the more engagement you yes, have. Yes it does suggest that somewhere a long time ago someone some executive went hang on we're making women feel bad about their bodies and and that's profitable do you think we could do that for men? Yeah. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> I'm yeah. sure. And the, the chances are it isn't. It's not some executive. It's all of us and our collective behaviour churning through these. Yes, and women in the workplace isn't necessarily as much a sign of equality as it is now we have double the workforce. Yeah. Double the buying power, double the people in the market. So it's not that those things aren't also social progress. It's that those things are boosted by capitalism where other parts of feminism or other parts of progress languish. And so you have this double thing where a woman is being treated equally in some ways and not in others because it's not so much about the whole society moving forward as it is the bits that are getting a super boost from capitalism. So you, okay, yes. So it, it, it doesn't, it doesn't, like, I don't feel happy that there's a woman in charge of Yahoo because Yahoo is as much a problem as anything else in terms of like perpetuating systemic inequality. In the but world. Do, you, do you feel happier than you would feel if everyone in charge of everything was a man? Yes, I do. But I think part of the reasons for it is, is part of the reason is a problem. The reasoning behind it is, I, like, like I said, I'm not arguing with the outcome. I'm I'm worrying about the implications of of why it's happening in that way. And with the online commenting thing, there's no there's no benefit to anyone in terms of money in people being nice to each other yes like it, on like on a really broad scale yes. you sell more weapons sure sure i think um something that i'm really feeling at the moment is i'm questioning whether or not i personally am becoming less tolerant of some of my liberal friends i consider myself a very liberal person i see a lot of arguments on Facebook on Facebook with which I don't engage I don't but I, I engage I read them I'm interested but I don't participate because that way lies madness I don't there's not enough hours in the day anyway I yes. shouldn't be on Facebook to begin with let alone involving myself in, in an argument and I give myself one a week oh very good okay <laughs> um and I I feel that you know everyone's talking about polarization at the moment and I do feel like I see some friends on Facebook who are liberal people with whom I agree becoming smug, offensive, lazy, casually using the same sorts of language that they berate other people for using. Like, fucking anyone who votes for Trump should be killed. That kind of, you know, dumb yes, example, yes, that yeah. sort of thing. Um, and I'm really... I don't know whether that's because... It's probably both. I think the discourse is changing, that people are polarising further. 
And also I'm friends with some quite fringy liberals because I'm a comedian and some of some comedians are, are into that in an outspoken kind of way. Um, and also I'm aware that I am getting older. I'm pushing 40 and I... I do. I'm sort of trying to write material about this at the moment. It's not very sort of coherent, but I, I always thought that the premise I'm taking is that I always thought I would get older, and actually, what and everyone else would stay the same. The world would stay the same, and I would get older within it. And of course, what's happening is that I'm staying roughly the same, and the world is getting younger and more annoying. Yes. And people's opinions are getting younger and more annoying. Yes. And I'm sort of staggered by you know people's apathy i'm arguably fairly apathetic myself i absolutely vote but i don't march very often you know if ever um but people seem to be far less engaged far more concerned with the rabbit hole of social media being seen to do good rather than actually yeah yeah i think so and i'm just i'm just finding that there are people who previously i would have said well whatever that person says i agree with them because i know their heart's in the right place now i'm going why is that person behaving like such a dick does this mean i'm becoming less tolerant or are people just behaving like dicks more like with the with the with now that students have started no platforming people that, that wasn't really a thing. bothers me that wasn't a thing why don't you understand like even if you disagree with what Jermaine Greer says about trans people she's an ally she is broadly speaking one of the good guys and I realize those what do those terms even mean but you don't know platform her. You, you don't buy every ticket her. to her event and then not show up. Ugh. Yeah. What's the fucking point in doing that? Even if some awful, um, you know, who's this guy? Um, is it Yanis someone? Yanis? Milo Yiannopoulos. Milo Yiannopoulos. I'm sorry. Oh, look how racist I am. Um, you don't, I don't think you refuse him entry to a country. Maybe I, I don't know about national borders and about the decisions made like that. But I guess what you do is you debate him. You let him do his thing and you... You talk about how awful it is. You certainly don't fuel his feelings of, you know, you don't martyr him this by saying you're not allowed to speak. That's nuts. So this is a genuinely really interesting thing for me because I think, you know, you know considering the empire, old white men, whatever, do you think they were less offended by the things that offended them that they made room for free speech for than you are offended by the things you're offended by? Like, I, I really want to understand the question. Tell me that so, again. <laughs> so does, do you think that uh, in the 1800s, a man with a wife and family was less offended by arguments for suffrage or for gay marriage than you are offended by someone who thinks white people are the best? I don't know. Well, Where, uh, I don't do know. Do you think they were less offended by the idea of, of gay people having sex than you're offended by... Somebody saying... I don't, yeah, I understand the question, and now I'm answering, I don't know. Yeah. I don't know, because um, we all like to think, you know, there's that thing of like, well, my grandfather would never have stood for that. And I do wonder about what things in the future, like, will my grandchildren go, my grandfather would never have gone to a zoo. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And I, well, I mean, it's everyone... It's would never of, have eaten factory farmed meat. Exactly. Absolutely. Absolutely. So I, I don't know. I guess the man in the street probably didn't really care what his neighbour did. He probably wasn't really offended if his neighbour was gay. He might have been told to be offended by his church or See, certain I think pillars of the community. I, I don't really know. I think people were viscerally upset. And I understand this just very slightly because I was brought up in a, in a religion or, you know, Buddhism is one of the more sort of tolerant and easygoing things. But 
a, a very small version of it is there's a there's a traditional uh, Asian Southeast Asian thing where you don't put low things in high places. You don't put shoes on tables, for example. Is that where that comes from? Because I have, I regard that as a superstition, with all apologies, yeah. but I don't put shoes on tables because I heard it was bad luck and it seems wrong. Yeah, so it's it's one of those things as in many sort of customs and religions that probably started from a hygiene point of view when, you know, hygiene was a life or death matter. You didn't put low things in high places, yes. right? You do. But then that becomes sort of entrenched to the point where I now really viscerally feel it's wrong. It upsets me in a sort of a... Oh, even if, if a brand new pair of shoes sure. on a dirty table, it's still, oh, you know. And that's weird because you're, you're a very rational person. Yes. And, uh, and I understand that that is irrational. But just knowing the nature of that feeling, if you're told that something is against nature, that it's wrong, I can understand the point of view that um, what's his head, that, that mental American guy when he said, oh, the rape police comment. I don't know. I'm not familiar that with that. He was, he was talking about uh, gay marriage and so on and so forth. That, you know, the liberal, he said it in this way where, for me, everything he said was like, yeah, of course. You know, liberals believe that you can do anything you want in bed, no matter, just so long as you have this magic word consent. <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah, I do believe that. Yeah, so, he, you know, and I'm like, yeah, yeah. But, but then the, the moment, even if you're in marriage in this consecrated thing, the moment you have the, the slightest hint that there isn't this magic word consent, then the rape police come. Right? Wow. Another word for them is the police. And so, yeah, exactly, <laughs> exactly. But so, so I agree with everything that he said, but from his perspective, the nature of marriage and, and sex in marriage is, is a godly thing. It's a sacred thing. Okay. And that is more important than and things that are outside of that you know gay gay sex or you know polyamorous sex or you know bondage or any of those things are outside of that of those parameters and so they are unnatural and that he probably feels the same way about those things as i feel about shoes on a table there's a, a response to the, a feeling yeah. that they're not right that there's something wrong there so the the consent parameter which is our measure for whether something is okay or not is secondary to whether something is right or not. And in his view, sex within marriage is more right, even without consent. It's more right than any of those other things. Yeah. And I, and I, that revolts me as mm. an idea, but I understand it. Yes, you can understand people feeling icky about things because of your shoes on the table thing. Yes. You, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it, yeah. Obviously, it's much a much bigger thing and a much more, you know, I'm not going to tell someone to take their shoes off the table. Aren't I'm just you? Gonna, <laughs> Aren't you? If they're in my fucking house. Yeah, maybe. yeah. <laughs> well, okay. House country. All right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But you know what I mean? I, so I, I do understand. I, I do understand it. I don't sympathize with it because I think it's, I think it's. It's your responsibility to get over your shoe table thing. Yes. It's his responsibility to get over his ickiness. Yes. but uh, So that's kind of where I come from with that stuff of, of the no platforming, extending that out to the no platforming thing. I think that we should be able to talk about these things because yeah. without talking about it, without hearing what he had to say, and I went and I listened to the whole thing and I, I was like, where is he coming from? This is ridiculous because everything he said sarcastically, I would say straight, <laughs> you know, yeah, sure. directly. So it's this really foreign and alien thing and you want to just shut it out. You're like, that's dumb. But if I understand where it comes from, then I can engage with it and I can talk about it in a reasonable mm. human way. And the more you have that... This rape police comment, is that the same guy? The, the Rush Limbaugh, I think. Okay, was. right, different guy. Okay. Um, 
but yeah. but th- so the the no platforming thing is stupid because if you have a platform for someone you disagree with and you have a discussion you have people from both sides of the, t- the table listening to the back and forth yes then they can be persuaded if you're I totally agree. in a bubble if you're in your head if you don't if you feel afraid to say your opinion for fear of being shut down your opinion is just in a loop it's just reinforcing itself people don't you know, science doesn't advance without people going well that's wrong and sure. back and forth and back yeah. and forth. That's how human... You can't think out of a box. There are very few geniuses in the whole of human history who could think outside the discussions they were having and and the the capacity that they had to go, what about this? And someone goes, well, 70% of that. And then you refine and strengthen your actual understanding of reality. Yes. Yep, I agree with all of that. You agree? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I totally... I, I, I really do. I think... Um, but, like, to me... It's crazy to know platform people, but I'm an older guy. I'm not a student by 20 years or more. And um, that's how they seem to want to do things now. And it's, it's, it seems to me, I mean, I know that everything is a reaction to what's come before. I was listening to the Cracked podcast, which I think is excellent sometimes. And um, they were talking about how this, they were trying to come up with reasons not to be too upset about Trump. Mm. And one of them they said is that we always overcorrect. So Clinton was an overcorrection from Bush Senior, and I, I got it. I, don't, I might not get the chronology correct, but do you know what I mean. But Every o- yeah, Obama was an overcorrection from Bush. From Bush, exactly. And Trump is an overcorrection from Obama. You know, it mobilized people to go. Well, you know, let's let's go back the other way. And um, why did I mention that? No platforming. Yes, maybe we are you know maybe there are kind of waves there are waves like a spring you know those kind of like uh, lateral waves not very scientific um and maybe the freedom like i remember growing up um in a world where i as a child i grew up under thatcherism and i listened to alternative comics talk about thatcherism and the tories in such a way that i could never vote tory Mm. i couldn't bring myself to do it in the same way as i could never wear flares it's simply like I could. I mean, I couldn't do that. Yes. I'm just thinking. Once I wore flares, but it's a special occasion. But um, <laughs> I, I could never in my bones. I could never vote Tory. And then I, I kind of was in my sort of late teens, early twenties, in a comparatively um, uh, culturally rich time. Like there was a bit of funding there for doing things. When I, I studied under Erasmus, so I w- there was funding for me to go to Europe for three months. I went to the Netherlands for three months during my degree in 2000. And, um, and I benefited from that. There was kind of people seemed to want to make art. And even then they were going, oh, it's not like the old days. We can't make art like we used to when you could be on the dole. You could go, I'm an artist. I want to make art. I'm going to draw the dole. I'm going to get sort of a support payment so that I can pay my rent and buy food so that I can twiddle, twiddle around, not twiddle my thumbs, but twiddle around making yes, art and there is space risks. for ideas. The cost of university. You know, I got a grant to go to university. It didn't pay for everything, but you know, it wasn't, I didn't come out with a 30 grand debt. Yes. So. Which is crippling to innovation. I mean, well, that's the other thing. It doesn't work. It's like the no platforming thing. Not only do I disagree with it fundamentally, it also doesn't work because it drives things underground. There's no debate, you know. Well, to return to something we were talking about before we started recording, you have no room for failure. You can't take risks if you have a massive debt like that. If you come out of university, you can't risk anything. And so you can't 
Yeah, Fail. so it will affect a culture change, like we were talking about with like seatbelts and drunk driving and stuff. There will be a culture change affected where people don't expect to be able to go to university, where they consider, oh well, I'm not gonna, I'm not, I'm just gonna go and study. I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna go and stretch my mind in lots of different ways that I wasn't expecting and undergo new experiences. I'm just going to do this job that I might be lucky enough to get. Yes, and that's really frightening. But every time I think about it, I feel like an old man. <laughs> you know, I, <laughs> I feel like, oh god, this is all sort of changing and eluding. Yeah, I feel I I, I had that uh, a very strange experience of privilege in that we never had money, but we had privilege. So I went to university on a scholarship and I went to Cambridge on a scholarship. Yeah. But I wouldn't have known about those scholarships had I not been in the circles of educated yes. people and had I not been in the spaces where people, well, that was an option, where that was like intellectually an option, where it was available to yes. me as, as something I, I could I, I do. Had, I had the privilege to reject a decent education. And go and be a street performer. Yes. And I wanted at the time, I think I remember wanting at the time to start from scratch to prove myself. But of course, I wasn't starting from scratch because I, if it all, if it all went wrong, I could go and live at my mum's house. Yes. So I was taking a limited risk. Well, that's one of the things that's happening in Silicon Valley. So from the perspective of your men's rights activists, uh, slightly neo-Nazi red pill kind of and I've, I've read way too much of that for writing well, articles I, I, about I, just to interrupt there and hold on to that thought I one of the things I don't want to do is lump MRA guys together with neo-Nazis because even though there may be some overlap I don't think it's useful in a polarization way to assume that every scared or lonely or, or not necessarily and scared or lonely or militant or upset or frustrated man who goes towards that I think it is only going to drive them further into that if we yes. start casually calling them Nazis. True. I, it's it's more in the context of, uh, I think I've lost what I was going to say. Silicon Valley. Silicon Valley, yes. So you look at Silicon Valley and the number of, re representation-wise, it, it starts to look very much like a traditional business. You know, you know it looks like a bank, the, the, the numbers of guys who are white and middle class and privileged. And so from the perspective of these ostensible rationalists who see the world as it really is, those in an environment where Silicon Valley tells itself that it rewards merit, merit only, only merit, purely merit, it starts to look like the guys who are succeeding are the white guys and therefore the white guys are the ones who have what it takes. They're the, they've got the sure. cannon fodder, they've got the willingness to fail, they've got the drive, they've got the testosterone, and those are... You can completely understand how we, stupid humanity, all of us, fall for that kind of stuff. Yes. Yeah. Whereas the reality is, those are the guys who have garages they can work in. Yeah. Those are the guys who have space to fail. Those are the guys who can work on a, a failed startup for two years until it gets bought by Google. Those, that is privilege. Some alt-comedians in this country are able to not make any money from comedy. Yes. Because they don't have a child yes. or uh, rent to pay or jobs to do. They can fart around and they maybe have a bit of a, I mean, I, I don't subscribe to this as an idea generally, but the idea of the Oxbridge old boys network, certainly if you did go to college somewhere very high powered, chances are the people who are the gatekeepers also went there and absolutely, if someone emails me and says, hey, I used to go to your drama group you were in when you were 14, I'll, I will pay more attention fractionally to that email. I'll go, I'll be more inclined to go, oh, I'll give that guy a break. So presumably that does happen in some sort of way. But like, 
I think of myself, I always used to think of myself as like a jobbing comedian, like a street performer. I want to turn up with nothing and make it happen myself. Yes. I look back on those elements of my career and I go, well, yes, I made decisions based on wanting to make money, wanting to support myself, to pay the rent, pay the mortgage, lucky to get a mortgage, you know. Yeah. And um, I wanted to I wanted to do those things. I, I probably didn't noodle around taking risks for five years at the beginning of my career. And if I had have done that, maybe I would be more artistically fulfilled. Maybe I would make more of a difference as a comic. But I I had loads of options and I'm not complaining. Yeah. But I think there are... There, it's a similar thing happening in comedy to what you described. Yeah, I, and, and, and I think that's one of the problems. It's not that similar. Sorry, I'm thinking about it. Maybe I'm in, you know... No, I, I, I think there are, there are similar things at play there as well as many, many, many other things, which is, yeah, you're more likely to give an opportunity to somebody who you get. Yeah. Who you've... I mean, comedy is subjective. The people you find com- comfortable to be around are the people you're going to book. The people who you want to be backstage with Yes. are the people who are not going to make you feel uncomfortable. Yes. There's a really great John Cleese speech at, I think, MIT. It's available online in its c- completeness, but where he talks about... If you get a bunch of people who are very similar to one another in a room together for a meeting and ask them to come up with solutions, two hours later they'll walk out of the meeting feeling great. And they, they all agreed and they had like really productive discussion. Uh, but the solutions they come up with aren't that interesting. Whereas if you bring a huge number of diversities in you know, different genders, different classes, different you know, socioeconomic groups, They'll argue like beasts for two hours, but they'll come up with some really interesting ideas. And I think that's kind of the world that... Has that ever been tested? Sounds very good. Well, this, yeah, <laughs> this, this was his observation, so I sure. assume that he's not pulling it out of his ass. Yeah. Um, I think it was, it was from, him, from his observation anecdotally. Um, Sounds like an ass pull to me, but I trust Cleese. Yeah, you trust Cleese. <laughs> uh, you trust Cleese because he's like you. Because he's like me. Yeah. Well, I, well, I think because I grew up with him, I would also trust Lenny Henry. He's not like me, but I grew up with him. But you grew up with him. So, yeah, he's I'd, pretty like me. I don't know. I think there are all these different things that are playing in, but it can give this illusion. The problem is that we live in this world where facts can be seen from a number of different perspectives. So you have Jermaine Greer... Oh yeah, so uh, so just to I'm just saying that facts seen from different perspectives. So fake news, and yesterday I read a story about a Swedish fact-checking site, which is fake. Oh wow! So of course, as soon as the idea of fake news comes up, some bright spark thinks, "Great, I'm an extreme right-wing person. I'm going to set up a fact-checking website like the equivalent of Snopes, or you know, but not you know for news rather than apocrypha, um, except that it is slanted entirely in their opinion, so it doesn't fact-check." But it allows a person to go, uh, oh, I fact-checked this. And absolutely, it confers to all of my uh, my beliefs. I mean, what is going to happen to news now? What is going to happen? Who is impartial? What happens if Murdoch manages to destroy the BBC? Even the BBC. I mean, God, during the whole um, Scottish referendum, I had loads of Scottish friends on my timeline and in my life going, on my timeline, God, it's like living in Neuromancy. And and in my (laughs) life saying, screw the BBC, they're not reporting on huge demonstrations that are happening. They're not reporting on the massive, you know, outpouring of we wish to leave uh, Britain that was happening in, in Scotland. So who, what, it, what is objectively right? What is the, where is the yardstick? Where is the measure? Where is like, there should be like in a little cube somewhere, one cube of truth 
that everyone can measure everything against. And of yeah, course, and, and uh, but that's the thing. It, it, a lot of things are true at the same time. So one of the good points from the right that I saw when everyone was doing that thing about Trump having women wee on him or something... Someone I said, believe that, well, the story I heard was that he paid some prostitutes to urinate on the bed that Michelle and Obama had slept in. Uh, yes, yeah, something like that. Uh, I didn't really follow it, but the, 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 this was happening while 49 people had been killed in drone strikes that day yes. under Obama's rule. Yes. And, and so there is this thing where there's a lot of different things that 100%. are true at the same time. I mean, time. Obama's funny and he's got class, he dresses well, he's a good dancer and he turns up on comedy programs. He's drone striking the shit out of people while he's doing it. And yes. we give him a pass. And stuff like that. that Because we he agrees with us generally. Exactly. We allow ourselves to kind of sweep that under the rug. In the, and, we, and at the same time, we pick on Trump's impersonation of a disabled reporter. And we go, that is proof that this man is a monster. And you can complete. This is what I'm seeing more and more. I can completely see it from the other side's point of view where they go, oh, come off it. That was a one-off thing. He didn't realise the guy was disabled. He was just doing it. You know, he's a seventy-year-old man doing an inappropriate impression. Yes. And at the same, and I am. I'm definitely and he speaking generally for the other agrees with us. Exactly, but he generally agrees with me. He he is promising change rather than the same old thing, and I'm suffering under the same old thing. And at the same time, who is this Obama? This clown who all the liberals love, but he's this murderer who's taken us. You know, he's. I think he's the only president who has been at war for the entire time of yeah. his two terms. And Although, I don't have a job. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And we're, 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 when it comes to Jermaine Greer, I think there is that thing of there are a number of things that are true at the same time. Number one is that the experience of being a trans woman is different from the experience of being a biological woman, which is her point. The, the, the conclusion that she draws from that point is that they're not real women. Sure. And that's where I d disagree. I agree. I agree with you, yes. Which is to s but I don't disagree with her understanding of the facts, which is that, you know, as a trans woman, you're not going to have your uncle looking at your tits on the bus when you're 13. So you're, you're not going to have that experience of feeling unsafe in certain spaces, though you will feel unsafe and uncomfortable in other spaces. So your experience of being a woman is going to be different from my experience of being a woman. Yes. But equally, I don't then deny your your right to claim the title and to then experience life as a woman something i don't hear people say very often in in arguments probably because of uh, engagement saleability all those sort of things something i don't hear very often is i don't know or i'm not sure yes i don't know for example whether a trans woman who lives as a woman regards herself as a woman and still has a penis is allowed should be allowed to be in a women's only refuge a woman's only refuge i don't know yes i can i see that from both sides yes and i don't know and i don't really hear many people saying i don't know because it sounds like a position of weakness yes rather than, i mean it, i don't know if it's a position of strength it might be a position of confidence to be able to say i don't know but i can't imagine myself saying that in a in an argument yes and i i think actually maybe we should because I think, I don't know, is uh, maybe that would be the opposite of polarisation. Maybe then the other person would stop attacking you and go, yeah, I don't know either. And then you might go, well, maybe we've got more, in, maybe our points of view have more in common than we realise. Yes, and what ends up happening is the people who don't know don't pitch in. So the only people who pitch in are the people who feel strongly, yeah. which is to say either the people who are fucking terrified or the people who are fucking angry. Maybe I should start engaging in Facebook discussion simply by saying i don't know yeah. i don't know about this 
I'm not sure. Yeah. There's there's a thing. I, I, it's pointless to even mention this because I can't talk about it. It's just happened, and it's specific to a friend of mine, and it'll probably be identifiable. But there's a thing I want to talk to you about afterwards, whereby okay. a a person, a woman, has done a thing, told a story about it on Facebook, and everybody underneath her, under in the comments, everyone is doing the equivalent of "You go, girl," and I think she's behaved appallingly. Yes, I've and had I that. I haven't stepped in and said, "Whoa, whoa, whoa, really." Are we celebrating? This is, this is. Crazy. I can talk about a similar thing that happened in Australia, which was a, a violent action by a, a woman against a man who was behaving moderately badly, and then she took violent action against him and boasted about it on her Facebook. And again, there was this quite a lot of support for her. And I think there's a bright line in the sand there, which is I think you have, if someone's behaving appallingly in public, you have a right to maybe speak to them maybe even speak to them aggressively but violent like violence action is never justified by non-violent action i don't think anyone can say anything bad enough to you that you should punch them unless it's a threat where you genuinely feel like they're going to perpetrate actual violence on you in which case it's self-defense like there is an act there's a legal line there's a moral line there's nothing that anyone can say to you that should be offensive enough to cause violent action I, I, and then that's uh, that's something that I think should hold for men and women. Like I don't think you get a pass for punching someone just because you're a woman. No, I remember a security guard at Covent Garden saying to me, over like a street performers meet the security guards, like you know, let's all get on with each other initiative, which was you know a small drink. Um, <laughs> uh, I remember him saying to me, uh, if you ever get any trouble from anyone, if you ever get any trouble from anyone who's uh, who you reckon dodgy, you know. And you need, you need, you know, if you ever get in a fight, all you need to say is, it's this phrase. He was like sharing the code phrase. You need to say, I was in fear for my life. Because if you say, I was in fear for my life, then they'll let you get away with anything. If it goes to court, if you say that you were worried he was going to kill you, you can get away with everything. And I really felt like, I don't want to know that. And I certainly don't want to know that you know that. And I don't want to know that you regard that as a get out of jail free card. Yes. Whereby you, a person in a position of power who is at the same time vulnerable. If you're a security guard, you've got a radio, you don't have a weapon. You know, you're the person, you're the, it's your responsibility to step in. I've never been in that position. Don't know what it's like to to be him, but to give yourself that license. To give yourself that license of going, it's fine. We can stamp on this guy's head as long as we say he came at us and we were in fear for our lives. Yeah, that's, I mean, that is to get to pull the lawyer in a court case if there's no witnesses it's a reason what a reasonable person in the position of the plaintiff would believe so you'd have to draw a relatively convincing fact scenario you couldn't just say you were in fear for your life it has to be reasonable you can't just be like he had a he had a mobile phone and i was in fear for my life because he might have called a sniper you know like you have sure. to it has to be reasonable but yeah it's certainly it's certainly worrying because that's also a thing about access to knowledge being used as power. If you get told that, you're then in a position of privilege over somebody else who doesn't know that. Sure, if it's true. Yeah, yeah. if it's true or not. Uh, yeah. So what were, what were you Sorry, I meant that was a bit of derailment. Um, no, it's good. Were you, in, were you saying something? Were you in the middle of saying something? I can't remember. I was talking about <laughs> Jermaine Greer and, 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 and the fact scenario where, where it, yeah, maybe it does relate of, of many things can be true at the same time. I think 
that's that's the problem with it. So should I start should I start engaging with Facebook arguments by saying I don't know about this? Does that does that contribute at all? Might that contribute? Might that allow other people to go? Actually, I don't know about this either. Is that is that a workable? I mean, the idea of saying it in a Facebook comments thread is kind of trite, but the premise of being should I, should I be prepared to stand up and be counted about not knowing? Yes, More I often. think so. Does, I think is that there helpful, is room... or, or does it just look like someone going, "I'd like to be involved in this, but I have no clear opinions"? I think there is there's room now for a rational, moderate middle. You know, or I think the le- as you say, polarization has has happened to the point where people are having completely different discussions, and they become impatient with any middle ground discussions because they feel like they've been had before. That's where you get the "It's not my job to educate you." They're yes. bored of having those same arguments and discussions. Yes, but equally, I don't know if it's my job to stay abreast of the daily developments as the discourse is pushed forwards at lightning speed by people on the internet. Yes, but if you're agreeing with somebody, you're racing down this track with them, yes, 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 until you get to the no. And, so that, that, and then that's the interesting discussion you're having with the people who agreed with you for the last 500 metres. You know, you're then having that discussion of, well, w- do we have... Uh, a, a dedicated gender-neutral uh, pronoun or do we allow anyone to use whatever pronouns they want? Is that what we're fighting for? Oh, no, we need to have, you know, whatever that discussion is. When there are people still 500 metres behind you going, well, I don't know if you should be allowed to change your gender on your birth certificate at all rather mm-hmm. than what are the pronouns that should be made available to people. Yes. And, and whether it should be a matter of, you know, three or six or infinite numbers or anyone gets to just be the gender that they are on the day that they feel. You know, th- those are the discussions that are so far ahead. And then when someone back, way back goes, but wait a minute, what, 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 these are women now? Like, you, sure. you're like, fuck you, I don't want to have that discussion. That's- yeah, exactly. And, and to be fair, if you're going to have discussions, maybe you've got a responsibility to... You, I mean, you can't be educating everyone, but you can maybe you can point them in the right direction. Are you familiar with White Nonsense Roundup? No. Okay, so White Nonsense Roundup is a Facebook identity that you can tag in, you can befriend it or like it on the page. I don't know if it's a page or a person. And you can tag into it if you're involved in a racially charged discussion <laughs> as a way of saying, let's let these guys handle it. And a team of white people online <laughs> who believe that it is not the responsibility of non-white people to argue with white racists or white people <laughs> on the subject of race you can tag white nonsense roundup and one of their staff basically <laughs> will enter the conversation and very calmly continue the debate with the people that are kicking off well i think that's i, I mean think i think it's a lovely idea it's a lovely idea as soon as that idea happens presumably it gets perverted in a fake newsy kind of way and yes. someone goes oh now you can tag in angry right wing guy or I, justified guy i think know? the illusion created by by progressives is that people are going to catch up that they will figure it out that they will from the they're truth, planning the future yes that they will see the truth because it's facts and you put the facts together and the, the outcome is obvious. And so it's your job to catch up to us. Neglecting the fact that there has never been equality in human history. That it's always been a massive uphill battle and it always will be. Like that's the problem. Like we're not going to get to a point through natural evolution. Because you have these you know, facts that can be interpreted in two different ways. Like the Silicon Valley thing. 
There is a very clear, very obvious way to go. Well, white guys are just more entrepreneurial. It's in their biology. Sure. Neglecting to say, well, biology isn't destiny anymore. You know, we get to we get to say fuck you to biology every day. I am standing at the top of a castle made by my grandfather out of the bones of your grandfather. Yeah. Why can't you see as far as me? Yeah. Well, I I mean, I had pneumonia when I was seven. Fuck biology. I got to live through that. You know, that's we don't need to succumb to those kind of arguments anymore. But no one's having that argument with those guys because you're too busy having the argument about whatever it is that's further so, down the line. So do you now? am I making up these terms or have I read them somewhere? Progressives, I'm worried that progressives are becoming regressives. Yes, that's called, uh, this is Sam Harris coinage is the regressive left. Yeah, okay, so that's that's, the, I think that's what I'm talking about. The no platforming left. Yes, the no platforming left, the shutting down free speech left, the, uh, you know, my truth is the natural truth left yes which then starts to look very much like it meets the extreme right on the other ed, the other edge of the moon yeah the other finn, side of the... finn taylor has a very good bit about how uh coming full circle from the very far right to the very far left is just a matter of how many jews you want to kill <laughs> <laughs> i've seen him do that bit it's a very good bit yeah because it does start to look very very much the, the extremes of both sides start to look very much like each other mm-hmm because of the way that they talk and the way that they see the world is... is and I think that's part of it. It's part of it is the accelerated discourse. Part of it is like, I can't be bothered to have that argument. If someone can't be bothered to have that argument, does that mean that they are tending towards becoming the regressive left? Yes, possibly. I does, think Is so. it the left's... Is the onus on the left to explain and have the argument? Well, it's... Uh, Yes, unfortunately. It's an, an, and it's a nasty... While the right gets on with making money and selling off rainforests. Yes, exactly that. Because otherwise what happens is that you're just letting people go and figure things out on their own. And then you're assuming that they will feel the I mean, correct... letting people go and figure out things on their own sounds okay? Yeah, of course. Sounds like the sort of thing a right-wing person would go listen to this liberal lady saying, oh, then you're assuming it's, it's okay to let people figure out stuff for themselves. Yeah, exactly. But the, the saying that you can go out and figure stuff out for your own is assuming that they will then agree with you, that they will see your argument somewhere on the internet and feel it as correct in the way that in the way that I feel that shoes on a table is incorrect, sure. that there's some natural urge towards equality in humanity yes. that will see the truth of you know interpret the facts as you want them to be interpreted yes, yes. if everyone has freedom then everyone will come to the same conclusion as me yeah and i'm yeah. you know so in that argument i'm not i'm gonna say well you know just think about shoes on the table fucking figure it out for yourself and if it doesn't feel wrong to you then you're not going to ever agree with me mm. or vice versa you know for me it was somebody going well you know that's ridiculous and me going well, it's not ridiculous it's it's high line and low line. That's the, that's how it is. That's the, that's the natural order of things. Low things should go in low places. High things should go in high places. You know, and then the extension of that in that culture, and that's a culture I've been absorbed in, is men's stuff is higher than women's stuff. Mm. Like you hang, you can hang men's pants on a line with, with women's shirts. Wow. But not vice versa. And how do you feel about that? I mean, for me, that was the, the thing that... You know, in those discussions, having I had sort of two parallel lives, two parallel worlds. One was where my parents gave me the same opportunities in education as my twin brother, where we were treated very much the same. Any differences 
that were, you know, things like there were differences insofar as like I wasn't necessarily allowed to stay out as late as he was for safety reasons. But those were always explained very rationally. As you know, you can stay out, but you have to call in a way that Henry wouldn't have to call. But that's because the world is this way, not because you're this way. Mm. But at the same time, in Buddhist uh, ceremonies and so on and so forth, you'd have the men sitting at the front of the hall and the women sitting at the back of the hall. Mm. And you would have... Fucking Buddhist. <laughs> but th- I mean, that that's not so much inherent in Buddhism as it is inherent in the culture that that Buddhism sure. was uh, inculcated in. So that's Burmese culture more than it is Buddhism. But then, you know, you have to s- kind of... For me, then that was a process of the cognitive dissonance of those two worlds and then going, okay, now I have to actually think about which parts of this experience are cultural and which parts of the, it are inherent to the Buddhist doctrines that, and which parts of the Buddhist doctrines I agree with and which parts I find, you know, I'm willing to suspend belief on and wait until I see and which ones I'm going to reject outright. Mm. But that, that cognitive dissonance wouldn't have happened without me talking to other people about it. And for a long time I didn't because they were disconnected worlds. I wouldn't go to someone's house and... You know, if they were wearing Start moving sh- all their shoes. You know, yeah. Well, for example, I take my shoes off in my father's house. When I come in the door, that's a, an Asian thing. You take your shoes off in the house. But I'm not going to take my shoes off in someone else's house, nor am I going to tell them to take their shoes off. But I wouldn't have said, oh, in my house, I take my shoes off. Why do you not? Mm. But those are the discussions that I think are the ones we should have. Like, those are the ones that you need to have rather than not, mentioning it and just keeping it to yourself and just thinking well, these guys are filthy <laughs> you know yes yes just coming back to this idea of you being out at, uh, allowed out late uh, less late than your brother yes something that i i feel a little prickle at and it's a, it's an interesting like i i completely get where people are coming from but it's one of those moments where i oh, god i hope i'm not secretly really right wing <laughs> um, it's one of those moments where I feel like, oh, let's let's try not to be polarized. Is when people say something like, um, "This is uh, rape alarm for women. This mm-hmm. new rape alarm is really good," and then people argue, saying, "We shouldn't have this. We should teach men not to rape. We shouldn't teach women how to escape rape." And I completely agree that we should teach men not to rape. I feel like we are doing that, probably badly in some circles, but a lot of us are teaching our sons not to rape. Yes. A lot of us are having a conversation about consent. Um, but I don't know that that necessarily means a rape alarm is a bad thing or a thing that should be the subject yeah. of ridicule. I think a more, uh, even a more obvious example than that is there's a rapist operating in this area, women shouldn't walk through this park at night. Yes. And then people attack the police for making that announcement. Yes. I don't think the police are the bad guy in that specific example. <laughs> you know? Yes. Yeah. And 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 I and it's at moments like that that I go, Oh, oh, come on. It's they're trying to help. Like I I yeah. get the point that you're making and I get in many ways I get that the the way people make the point is supposed to be inflammatory. It's supposed to annoy me because it's supposed to make me think about it yes. sometimes. Some people would say it's supposed to annoy you. Some people would say it isn't supposed to, it's supposed to annoy you. It's perfectly reasonable. Um, but I think that... When, when I... Sorry to keep forging ahead on this point. Um, when I 
see that, that's one of the moments that I go, I do start to fathom how a very right-wing person could pick on that as an example of, oh, for Christ's sake, all left-wing people are mental. Yeah, I think that the, the thing that is is happening is that you'll pick one point. I mean, this is one of the things that is happening on the left is that the left is refusing to engage with certain aspects of reality because the world that they want is, is they feel like it's just at your fingertips. If we just pretend that world exists, it becomes inexistent because part of the argument of the left is for empathy and for, for human connection. You say if we all behave as though we have empathy, not using derogatory terms for other people and so on and so forth, that will make the world catch up. Mm-hmm. But that doesn't work. You, you have to... You know, you have to let the person who thinks Asian people are sneaky say that so that you can deal with that because yeah. otherwise you're all just pretending that there is a world in which no inequality exists. To, to, and it's almost, this, is, uh, this might be a, a worrisome idea and I hope no one clips it out of context. Things like um, affirmative action where you're presenting the appearance of equality in the hope that it will inspire people to reach equality, that's that can be deeply problematic because you actually haven't fixed the systematic problem. You're trying to fix it from the top rather than from the bottom. Yes. And while I want more women on lineups, I want to be one of the women on lineups, but I also want more other women on lineups. I want more uh, diverse uh, races in in university. There's no senior university lecturers in in. England, who are black now, that that I saw an co- um, article in the Guardian. No one in the top level of university administration in the whole of England is black. But I don't think that problem is solved by putting a black professor in, for the sake of having a black professor. That problem is solved in primary school, and that's a much harder problem to solve. Can't it be both? Can't it be both? Because I think there is a value in affirmative action. I think there is a value in um, I th- I think that if you don't deliberately include, you will accidentally exclude. I agree. So I think you need to look at why there aren't any black professors, and it can't be because there aren't any good ones. I, I No, I absolutely agree with that. I think it needs to be both, but I think for the left, or as we're terming them now, the, the regressive left, the appearance is more important, and the appearance is almost everything. And so from the right wing, it looks like... Uh, a philosophy of appearances. It looks like a philosophy of self-aggrandizing, self-congratulatory appearances rather than any kind of fundamental change or any kind of fix or any kind of, you know, truly helping. It's, It's about looking good rather than actually changing anything. And because that's the thing where the arguments are happening about, about affirmative action, they're not happening at the open mic level as much. If that makes sense, yeah, maybe it needs I don't to know. be both. But there's one that's a lot easier to do. I'm going to say my new catchphrase here. I don't, I don't know. know. I, don't, I know. don't know. I don't know. I think is there. You know, part of the value of Obama mm. is that maybe young black kids think that one day they can be president in a way that they didn't before. Yes. Surely that has a massive value. It isn't the same thing as solving the horrific racial inequality at the heart of America. Yes, but it probably can't hurt no or does it hurt is that your argument that no, it does hurt because it gives the appearance hurts. of a solution i don't think it hurts except by 
what you just said insofar as, you know, by not deliberately including, you're accidentally excluding. By not deliberately including the argument about Obama's privilege, which was in large part white privilege. He had a, a white mother and he was brought up in these schools and he could talk the talk and he could walk the walk. He benefited from a lot of the structural advantages that are given to white people. So if you talk about Obama being president as the thing that changes the world, you're neglecting to say he is there and he's this massive figurehead and he's this inspiring person. But in order for there to be a second black president, you need to work far further down the line. And the fact that he could take advantage of those structural adv- structural things that were available to white guys was already progress. But that was progress that was made 20 years ago that he could go up through this system. I don't think it... I don't think it hinders progress, but I think if you're only doing that, it makes progress a lot slower because you're dragging someone by their little toe rather than dealing with the whole body, which is a lot heavier and a lot difficult, a lot more sort of unwieldy and complicated and you know troubling. Mm. Yeah, I, 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 again, I don't know, but I, I have that feeling. I have that feeling that it's one of the things that's polarizing. One of the things that's alienating is this is this focus by the left on appearances almost at the cost of reality. Yeah, and I suppose one of the... Yeah, absolutely. One of the negative things that happens when you focus on appearances is you disenfranchise people who are on the right who are thinking, hey, they're just... This isn't, this isn't fair. Yes. Yeah, it's tricky. Yeah, exactly. Well, uh, I think we've got to an hour... Uh, where can people find you online? Oh, wow. Are we going to finish on me going, yeah, it's tricky? I feel like that is That's no kind podcast, of a conclusion. Man. This whole podcast uh, is, yeah, it's tricky. Yeah, it's tricky. I want you to say, yeah, it's tricky. Okay, good. Um, where can people find me online? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> um, they People can find my Comedians Comedian podcast on iTunes or wherever else. No, in fact, I shouldn't iTunes is a good place for people to discover things if they're already into iTunes, but there are plenty of other places you can find it. You can go to comedianscomedian.com. That's mm-hmm. probably the easiest. That's your and hub. That's the hub, and then you can sort of put it from there on whatever Just podcast thing Google you Stuart have. Goldsmith. You can Google Stuart Goldsmith. Um, you can uh, come and see me on tour. All of that's at the, at the website. Um, you can come and... So you can see me on tour doing my stand-up, and you can see me at certain live appearances doing live versions of the podcast and uh, the ones that are coming up there's a bunch of those at sohotheatre.com so you can find those I've got interviews coming up with Paul Chowdhury uh, with Joe Brand and with Jeremy Hardy over the next few months fancy and if you're in Melbourne as uh, many of your listeners might be you can come and see me at the Melbourne International Comedy Festival oh you'll be there yes will you yeah we'll have another cup of tea excellent brilliant thank you so much thank you